This week's gospel reading from the lectionary is another long passage from the 11th chapter of the Gospel of John, verses 1 through 45. Please join Kathy and me by reading the bold portions that appear on the screen. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who had anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill, so the sisters sent a message to Jesus. Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. After having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Going there again. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, while Mary stayed home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, She went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and calling for you. And when she heard it, 
she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away this stone. Martha, the sister of the dead men, said to him, Lord, already there's a stench because he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. The word of the Lord. Speak to God. Well, as I mentioned, next week is Palm Sunday. So today, the fifth Sunday of Lent, we're already at the, about the two-third mark for Lent. How's it going? I'm told that the only thing some folks give up for Lent are their New Year's resolutions. If that's the case, we might be having some trouble. But I hope that at this moment you can take the time. We have two weeks more in Lent. It would be a great way to just get back on that horse, refresh that commitment. These two weeks are getting into the deep part. And we're heading into the serious stuff. And this reading today, oof, pretty serious stuff. So I hope you'll come along with me as we explore it a little bit. This Lenten season, we've been following the path of Jesus to the cross through the Gospel of John. John's Gospel contains some of the most beautiful and powerful stories we know about Jesus, some of his best-known sayings, and some of the most profound and often deeply mystical teachings that we find in Christian Scripture. It offers a strikingly different picture of Jesus 
from the ones we find in the Synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John's Gospel has a very clear focus on Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. This is the reoccurring theme, especially in chapters 1 through 12, which we have been going through. But why should anyone believe that Jesus is divine? In this gospel, Jesus' miracles are the markers, we might say, of his divinity. And John presents eight miracle stories. First, there is the changing of water to wine in chapter 2. Then there's the healing of the royal officer's son in chapter 4. We have the healing of the lame man in chapter 5. We have feeding the 5,000 and walking on water. Ooh, a double dipper in chapter 6. We have healing a blind man, which we heard about in chapter 9. Today, we see in chapter 11 the raising of Lazarus. And finally, we will come to the resurrection in chapter 20 and 21. The miracles reveal Jesus' divine nature, all leading to God's glory, which in turn, we hope, should lead to a response of faith from Jesus' followers. So today we find ourselves in chapter 11 with a story found only in John's gospel, unique to this gospel where Jesus amazingly calls his dead friend, Lazarus, out of a tomb. The writer places this story right before the Passover season, which leads us to believe that this writer sees this act as the final straw, the strongest provocation to motivate the authorities to plot a way to eliminate Jesus. Because, after all, His popularity was now an extreme danger to their power and their position. But I'll come back to that point in a minute. For now, let's dive into the story. We can start with how the sisters call Jesus to come to the aid of their brother. Apparently, Lazarus had been ill only a few days before it happened. At first, Martha and Mary thought they might be able to reach Jesus in time. You see, he was just across the Jordan River where John was baptizing. He had gone there to escape the death threats that had been made against him earlier up in Jerusalem. And so they sent word to him that Lazarus was ill. Notice, they didn't say, come quickly. They didn't even say, come at all. They knew the simple statement, the one you love is ill, would bring him. The Greek word for love used here is philio, and it is the love of a close friend, one considered to be family. As Augustine noted, it was enough that Jesus should, that Jesus should know, for it is not possible for one to at the same time, love a friend and desert them. However, Jesus' response to their situation 
seems surprisingly nonchalant. Though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus after hearing that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Note the Greek word here, getting your Greek lesson in today. The Greek word for love here is agapao, or as you would know, it comes from agape, which is the term used to describe God's unconditional love for us. So why would Jesus delay? Well, I want to offer you two reasons for consideration. First, Jesus expresses confidence that Lazarus' illness will not lead to death, but rather to the glory of God and to the Son of God will be glorified through it. There is no lack of care or concern on Jesus' part. Jesus knew that whatever was wrong with Lazarus, he had the power to deal with it, and the healing would undoubtedly enable people to see the glory of God in action. But there was more to it than that. Again and again in the fourth gospel, Jesus talks of his glory in connection with the cross. The gospel is clear that Jesus regards the cross as both his utmost glory and as a way to glory. So when he said that the cure of Lazarus would glorify him, he was showing that he knew perfectly well that to go to Bethany, a few miles from Jerusalem, and healing Lazarus was to take a step that would end in the cross. And it did. Jesus knew the cost of helping and was well prepared to pay for it. Though his disciples didn't fully understand what was happening, they also knew the danger of going back to Judea. They all questioned Jesus' decision. And though they agreed to go back, it was not without what William Barclay terms as not deep faith, but loyal despair. As Thomas states, let us also go, that we may die with him. Wow, that's a tough one. But it shows his loyalty to the very end. And I have heard that kind of phrase said in various ways in many action movies, dramas, people willing to put their life on the line for someone, something. And actually, in reality, I think it's safe to say we see that happening all around us, every day. People going out into the world with odds grossly stacked against them. Thomas may be known as the doubter, but here he showed real courage. Just as those who face what appear to be insurmountable obstacles, hatred and brutality. They lean into the courage where one is perfectly aware of the worst that can happen. Being sickeningly afraid of it, and yet 
going out to do the right thing. Now that brings me to the second reason to consider Jesus' delay as being strategic and thoughtful. I mentioned that Thomas's action was more about loyalty than faith. Perhaps Jesus saw this was a right time to develop the faith of his followers, to take them to a deeper kind of belief that goes to one's very core, truly gives space for the Holy Spirit to reside. When Martha met Jesus, her heart spoke through her lips. Here is one of the most human speeches in the Bible. For Martha spoke half with a reprimand that she could not hold back and half with a faith that nothing could shake. If you had been here, she said, my brother would not have died. We can understand the agonized cries of Martha and Mary to Jesus who greet him separately, but with the same words. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And implied in this statement are some pointed questions, perhaps even accusations. Where were you, Jesus? Why did you take so long getting here? I thought you loved my brother. I thought you cared about us. Aren't these exactly the kinds of questions we ask or would like to ask when tragedy strikes? Where were you, Lord? How could you have let this happen? Couldn't you have prevented all of this horrible pain and heartache? And much of the time, honestly, it does not feel like death has been defeated. Like Mary and Martha, we cry out in pain and ask our agonizing questions about job loss, financial crisis, chronic illness, loss of loved ones, relationships, injustice, war, terrorism. Whatever casts death's shadow across our lives. But among us, Jesus' glory is revealed and faith is nurtured, not so often through the dead being restored to life as it is in this story, but through being present for one another with patience and and fierce love in the midst of injustice and grief. It sounds strange to say it, But so much of what I do as a chaplain just sits with someone in patience and fierce love. And I am always amazed how God makes that be a difference for somebody. It's always noteworthy that Jesus doesn't rebuke Martha or Mary or their friends for what they say. To Martha, he responds with a promise. Your brother will rise again. After Martha confirms her her belief in the resurrection on the last day, Jesus responds with another promise. I am, one of the great I am statements. I am the resurrection and the life. 
Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? It is a challenging question. Especially for Martha and Mary with Lazarus in the tomb and Martha's grief still so fresh. It is a challenging question for each of us. Especially when you're right in the middle of the trauma or the crisis. Yet here it moves Martha beyond her earlier statement and she declares that Jesus is the Messiah. The Son of God. The one coming into the world. This is faith expressed in terms which echo the purpose of this gospel. But even Martha still has a way to go in her faith. She doesn't seem yet to grasp the full meaning of even her own words, as her worry about the stench from the tomb in verse 39 will make clear. Oh, Martha, 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 you're so easily distracted. She doesn't grasp what it means that Jesus himself is the resurrection and the life. Even for her in her grief and Lazarus in his tomb. How could she? In the midst of injustice, tragedy, griefs, and disappointments, we have a chance to declare that in it all we are held and loved and determined not by the powers of death, but by the risen Jesus. That is so because Jesus is not simply one who can restore life, but the one who is life itself. Jesus is the place where death ends. Maybe I should go right to him. Death ends and life begins. We, like Martha, believe and yet still struggle to grasp what this means. With Martha, we confess that we cannot fully comprehend, but we strive to learn about what it means to live for Christ and nurture our faith. After all, I believe it was the purpose of the mission of the resurrected Christ to bring life into its fullest sense. Resurrection comes before life because new life is the product of the resurrection. Let me say that again. Resurrection comes before life because new life is the product of the resurrection. The way that life is to the way to that life is by means of faith. Then the climax of the story is reached in the words, He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. It may well be that something of the anguish of human suffering was bearing on Jesus as he knew that his own cup of suffering was so close. Or perhaps Jesus came face to face with all that opposes him. Sin, death, hatred. His response was lament and anguish. 
There may also be an element of indignation, almost anger. The verb they use in this text actually means it has an angry tense. Jesus does not answer all the questions that we might wish he would. He doesn't explain to Mary and Martha and all those grieving why he didn't come sooner and prevent Lazarus from dying. But it is clear that he is completely with them in their pain and their loss and deeply moved and grieved. This is a a moment where I emotionally respond. Unlike those people in the story who don't have the full picture of what's happening, I do. I have the full view of Jesus' purpose. And here I find the courage to do things and be in spaces with others as they suffer that I never thought possible. I pray that every one of you find the same shot of love and life in this story to continue to deepen your faith and strengthen your belief so that we can all share in the work of our Lord Jesus, the work that he started and gave us, to us, to carry on. Amen.